Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast, the new video and audio edition. This is episode 786, a show we did on Sunday, July 10th, 2011, on the Premier Radio Networks. Enjoy. The Tech Guy podcast is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or TV instantly. All streamed directly to you, saving you time, money, and hassle. For your free 30-day trial, visit netflix.com slash twit. Well, hello. How are you? Good to see you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, and yes, home theater in just a little bit. Scott Wilkinson will join us, our home theater expert, to talk about that. My phone number is 88. 88 Ask Leo. If you've got a question, a comment, a suggestion, this is episode 786. In a continuing effort to figure out what the heck, what the heck is going on in the world of tech? What the heck is going on in tech? 888 Well, let's see. 8888 Ask Leo. 888 Does that sound right? You know, the easiest way to remember that stuff, go to the website, techguylabs.com. That's what I'm going to do right now. I've got it written right here. Yeah, one 827 5536 Now, that's uh, toll-free anywhere in the U.S. If you're outside the U.S., you can use Skype and uh, do that. Now, I guess now you can use Facebook. Can you? No, I guess not. So uh, Facebook announced this week that Skype was going to be a big part of Facebook, which is cool. Uh, it's in the Facebook chat. So if you haven't got it yet, you will soon. But if you go to your chat and you look at, uh, you know, you pop up the chat, you'll see there's a there's a camera now next to people's names if it's enabled. If you click that camera, you won't do it. You you'll have to download a little plugin. It's a little Java based, not JavaScript, Java based plugin that will allow you to make the call. So you see, there's a little camera there. And you click that camera, and then it'll start a Skype call. It's just, a, you know, you don't even have to know it's Skype. In fact, doesn't, I don't think it really says Skype anywhere. It's just, a, it's just a, a video call in your chat. So this is, this is uh, you know, I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, you know, this is, Facebook's going to try to compete with Google and their new Google social network called Google Circles, and they're going to make, you know, some amazing group chat thing. And they were a little disappointed when they saw, oh, it's just one-on-one -on -one video chat. Well, Google Talks had that for, all, you know, a year. Yahoo's had it for how many? Four years. Tom Anderson, who's uh, the guy who started MySpace, posted on Google+. Ironically, he's on Google+, Plus now, not, not MySpace. Justin Timberlake owns MySpace now. That's another story. Don't get me started. But uh, Tom Anderson tweeted, we had that in 2006. What are you talking about? Video and chat. But that's not the point. Remember, Facebook is 750 million normal people. And those 750 million normal people who might have found Skype intimidating or difficult or never installed it at all, all of a sudden, they're, they're easily going to be able to Skype somebody, just a quick little download, and it's in, it's every, it, they already have the contacts built in for uh, grandma and grandpa seeing their grandkids, 
for for people who who aren't technical but want to use video conferencing, this is huge. I think I think it's very big. It's very uh, very exciting. It was an art. Mark Zuckerberg is the founder of, uh, of Facebook. And by the way, he's the number one most followed person on Google's social network, which is a little weird. He's got like 48, 9,000 people following him on Google's social network. He never posts anything, but he's very popular. People just waiting for him to pounce. And he said, what do you th why is that odd that I would be a member of, a, of the competition? I got to see what Google's up to. Well, I guess that makes sense. Article in the uh, New York Times this week. Nick Bilton uh, writing in the uh, New York Times um, about taking a walk in the woods with Mark Zuckerberg. Apparently, this is how he interviews future employees for Facebook. He takes them on a hiking path through a wooded area of nor in Northern California, Palo Alto, that goes right around Stanford University. What happens is they, they come to Facebook for the interview, and then, and then Mark, who's 27 and wears flip-flops, so he's, you know, he's cool, he's hip, says, hey, let's go in a walk for a walk in the woods. <laughs> According to this article in the New York Times, quote, a little startled by the invite, people often agree, and then are led across the Facebook parking lot where they eventually end up hiking along a trail that reaches a Silicon Valley lookout. This is where Mr. Zuckerberg delivers his pitch. It's almost like the old industrialist saying, Someday, son, Silicon Valley spread out before them. Someday, son, this will all be yours. The individuals who shared these stories at the time said, I don't, don't. They made me sign a non-disclosure agreement. I, I can't talk about it. Nor did Facebook respond uh, that this was a regular practice. But, th but we, we, Nick's saying he's hearing this story. To do it, though, you've got to be a rock star, a designer, programmer. A potential employee who took a walk with Mr. Zuckerberg. I love it. New York Times calls everybody Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hitler was about to start World War II. When the, the New York Times says, uh, a potential employee who took a walk with Mr. Zuckerberg earlier this year said the encounter began with a very unexpected email. I, imagine getting this. I opened my email one morning. There was a message from Mark Zuckerberg. He said, I almost choked in my coffee. He asked me to come down to the Facebook campus in Palo Alto to discuss working for the company. You've got to understand, this is very competitive right now. You might think, well, who wouldn't take a job with Facebook? Remember, these top of the line, you know, rock star programmers graduating from the best universities. I mean, these guys are being courted by Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft. They're all, you know, this is a, these are hot commodities right now. He said it was pretty disorienting. Zuckerberg said, money isn't an object. If I wanted the job, and why wouldn't I, says Zuckerberg, the paperwork was ready to go back at the office. The, <laughs> the entire experience was totally surreal. I felt like I was on a date. Another person who was taken on the same walk said when they arrived at this, at this outlook over, overlooking all of Silicon Valley, Zuckerberg would stand there, and it, I'm sorry, Mr. Zuckerberg, He's 27. Zuck, that's what his friends call him. Zuck would stand there and explain the history of the area. He pointed out Apple's headquarters. Then Hewlett Packard and a number of other big tech companies. Then he pointed to Facebook and said, eventually it will be bigger than all the companies he just mentioned. And if I joined the company, I could be part of it all. It's great. What a great story. There's a similar story when, uh, when Steve Jobs went after John Scully who was the head of Pepsi at the time, to come to work for Apple. 
same kind of thing. Took him up, I think, on the roof, didn't he, of, of Apple's headquarters and, uh, and very famously said, you have a choice in your life, John. You can, you can sell sugared water to kids for the rest of your life or you could change the world. Which will it be? Of course, Scully took the job and promptly fired Steve Jobs. But that's, another, that's a story for another day. I don't think he took him on the roof when he fired him. Steve, all this, it's not yours. <laughs> See ya. Here's your check. <laughs> I got the paperwork waiting downstairs. They don't mention how they get the fired part. The hiring, that's exciting. The firing, eh, not so nice. It's a, it's a very competitive environment right now. And, you know, I, I think one of the reasons, you know, Apple's building a spaceship now in Cupertino that, by the way, will be visible. And I have to think from this outlook, this, this place that Zuckerberg takes people, I have to think that maybe Steve Jobs is thinking he's not going to be bringing up them up there anymore. <laughs> Because you'll see this giant thing is bigger than the Pentagon. 13,000 employees is this giant ring. He says, there's not a straight police piece of glass anywhere in the building. It's all curved glass. And I can just, I can just see that first day Zuckerberg brings a potential employee up there. Someday my... What? What? What's that? This is all... What's that? That's Apple, sir. Let's go back to the office. Never mind. Forget I said anything. I tell you, these these guys, these are the you know these are the robber barons of of our of our era. These are the J.P. Morgans, you know, the uh, Diamond Jim Brady's of our era. These are the people who were uh, changing the world, and they have their little eccentric. You you heard that Zuckerberg won't eat anything he doesn't kill. This is not a joke. He's decided, and you know, when you're, when you're worth billions, you can do anything you want, but he's decided that it's not cool to eat a pig unless you personally took its life. So, uh, which this, you know, if this became popular, this would really slow down the meat consumption, I think. So he actually he slaughters and, and butchers his own meat. 8888, ask Leo. I don't know how I got off of that. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Your call's next. I don't have to tell you about Netflix. You all know about it, so I don't even know why I do this ad. But please do me a favor. If you know somebody who is not yet a member of Netflix, introduce them to this. They will be grateful. I sent my mom for her birthday every year. I sent her a year subscription to Netflix. The first time I did it, maybe six years ago, I sent her a, a TV and a DVD player for Christmas. And didn't say anything. And then the next, then her birthday's like a week later. Then I gave her a, a year subscription to Netflix. Now that was when it was DVD by mail, but now Netflix is so much cooler because you don't even have to do the DVDs anymore. You still can do it. But for seven ninety nine, you could just do the streaming. It's unlimited streaming. Let's see. I like, yeah, I like the Nanny Diaries. I'll take anything with Scarlett Johansson. So this is one of the things that uh, Netflix does. This uh, makes recommendations. So want more suggestions? How often do you watch dysfunctional families? Oh, I love dysfunctional families and the workplace, yes, because that's what the Nanny Diaries was. It was about dysfunctional families in the workplace, I guess. So then it makes these recommendations. But these are all movies you can watch right now. Oh, i got to show you this. I just watched this very oddball movie, but it is amazing, called Microcosmos. It's a French movie, really close-ups of bugs doing their thing. It is an amazing movie. If you're if you're creeped out by bugs, maybe not. But here's the deal. Watch. I can watch it right now. I just press resume. This is so cool. On your PC, on your Mac, on your iPad, on your iPhone, uh, on some Android phones, on a Roku box, a PlayStation 3, a Nintendo Wii. 
uh, Xbox 360. You can watch these movies. Let me jump ahead a little bit because you got to see these bugs. These things are incredible. This is incredible. Look, these are... I shouldn't show you that. That's mating. Mating ladybug. Oh, my God. Oh, geez, Louise. Yes, they even have hot sex movies. Netflix.com slash twit. 30 days free. <laughs> Stop it! Silly bugs. So, by the way, this is cool too, isn't it? You can you can zip right through it. Netflix.com slash twit. Tell a friend, will you? It is awesome. I know. I picked the wrong part to show, didn't I? There's bees. Oh, a little dung beetle. This thing. Those things are amazing. This is the most amazing um, movie. I just was blown away. It's called Microcosmos. You can watch it free tonight. Netflix.com. Wow. Slash twit. Those French, man. They're crazy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. You know, I mentioned uh, Google's uh, social network, a new social network, and I didn't tell you, I didn't say a thing about it. It's been kind of closed uh, to the public, but now I think they're opening it up a little bit. So if you're interested, Google calls this Google Plus. And we'd been, we'd been hearing about this for some time, like a year people have been talking about this. And uh, Google Plus is just kind of a bunch of stuff kind of stuck together. So there, there, there's this Hangout feature which is the video feature where you can have you and nine friends all look talking to each other in a video chat and it's really cool this is way beyond anything Facebook's got right now but they also have um, streams which is kind of like the wall on Facebook so you follow people they follow you it's a little bit it's a mix between Twitter and Facebook more like Twitter in the sense that people don't have to request to be your friend to follow you but you make these circles it's kind of hard to describe if you it, it, if you go to plus.google.com, log into your Google account. You need a Google account to do it. Not not necessarily a Gmail account, just a Google account. Log into google.com. Plus, I'm sorry, plus.google.com. Uh, and I think you can sign up there, or you can get a friend who's already on it to send you an invitation. Uh, but Google's putting a lot of energy behind this. I think they really think this is a big deal. Somebody in the chat room, Massa Media, is saying maybe we should donate hard drives to Google. They need one. Did you did you hear what happened? They had <laughs> Vic Gundotra, who's a senior vice president at uh, Google, uh, in charge of social. So he's the guy running this. Sent out a, a, a Google Plus message. What do you call them? To not tweets. Sent out a plus. We'll call it a plus. Uh, to everybody saying, sorry about the spam. Our... Uh, one of our our hard drive got filled up. <laughs> and I don't think that's something you hear from Google. Yeah, the hard drive got full. Do you know how many hard drives Google has? The hard drive got full, and uh, and we didn't. It, for, it was just for the notifications. I guess they only had. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. They had like one hard drive for the notifications. I didn't. I don't understand how that happened. But anyway, he said we apologized that that happened, and you got spammed because the thing kept sending out the message because it didn't record that the message had been sent because the hard drive was full. What? <laughs> Very strange. Uh, Matt, are you at the controls today? Yes, sir. Can you uh, let's do the? I don't. I'm still trying to get this uh, call screening software to work right now. I'm having trouble on my end. But who's the first caller? Let's just take our first call today. Neil's on line one. Neil on line one. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Neil. Oh, 
Oh, you have to pick him up. Did I mention that part, Matt? There he is. Hi, Neil. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Neil. Thank you for taking my call. Pleasure to speak to you today. Where are you calling from today? Phoenix, Arizona. All right. Great to talk to you. What can I do for you? Okay. Well, first off, thanks. I love your show. It's great. I talked to you once before, and we talked last time about a um, uh, my Thunderbolt HTC, which I bought on your recommendation. It's a great phone, by the way. Thank you for that. Good. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I become more and more of an Android fanboy, I have to say. I just... Uh, and and by the way, we're not alone. Half a million people start using Android phones every day now, according to Google. So it's really right. taken off. Yeah. The using this one was trying to get it integrated fully into uh, my Apple uh, environment, but I have actually worked that out with some extra software and so forth, so I can sync the calendars and everything up. But it's yeah, yeah. Quite let, me, well. let me say, you don't need extra software to do that. Really, uh, the way when you start using an Android phone, but I think this is true really nowadays of all phones, including the iPhone. Uh, the easiest way to do this, and I know maybe some people don't want to do this, but the easiest way to do this is use Google services. Use Google Calendar, Google Contacts uh, as your calendar and your contacts. And then the phone, all you have to do when you set up a new phone is log into your Google account. This is Android or Apple, by the way, and it'll just get everything from Google. So the other half of that is, well, how do I get the stuff on my Mac to the Google accounts? And I think a lot of people don't know this, but if you look in Apple's address book or Apple's iCal, you can sign in. You can sync with your Google. Just It's built in. Sync with your Google account. I think that that started in Leopard. It's certainly part of Snow Leopard. So you don't Great. need additional software. You bought some. That's fine. I'm not saying you, you made a mistake. You probably have more features. But it is built into Apple's uh, computers now. Well, that's great to know. But I've already had it with the phone. The battery's alive, but we all, everyone talks about that. But I've actually bought an extra charger, and I can usually get a day's worth out of it. Although I didn't call about that today. Um, I actually have a different problem. Um, I have a um, some courses to take at my employer, uh, which I wasn't able to do at, at the office, so I was trying to do them from home. Right. Uh, I do have a Mac Mini, so I'm running uh, Soul Leopard at the moment, but I couldn't get the website to connect with, with any of the browsers in Leopard. So ultimately, I decided the thing to do was to uh, create either a virtual machine or boot camp, I have Vista available to me, or Windows 2000, as a matter of fact. I'm not sure which is the better choice. I did build a virtual machine for Windows 2000. Well, let me ask you this. Have you been able to connect in any way? Uh, you're saying you could connect in Windows, just not on OS X? Um, I can connect it with... I, what I had to do, what I did, is I built a virtual machine with Windows 2000, because I have that at hand. I use was a virtual box that you recommended. Yeah, yeah. Just answer my question. Do you have to use Internet Explorer? Is that the problem? Yes. Okay. So, um, first of all, you should yell at work. That's just stupid. <laughs> the, I right. mean, having to use Internet Explorer is just crazy. You've tr you tried Chrome, you tried iCab, you tried Safari, all the Mac browsers. None of them worked. That's just goofy. That's just goofy. So, so the first thing you should do is tell work, hey, you know... Requiring Internet Explorer is so 1989. But, okay, you figured it out. You have to run Windows because there's no Internet Explorer on the Mac. Exactly. Yeah. So I was trying to see the best option to do that. I created a, this, I created the virtual machine with Windows 2000, and I could either do Vista the same way, or I could just create a boot camp partition to do that. I'm not sure which is the better choice for better results. 
Yeah. Uh, well, there's just two different uh, ways of running Windows on the Mac. The boot camp means that that Mac Mini is now a Windows computer. It's indistinguishable. It is a Windows computer. You may have, you may have bought it from Apple, but it's running Windows. Just as uh, a Dell or a Lenovo or a HP or a Toshiba, it's running Windows, so it's a Windows computer. That's what boot camp does. It puts Windows on your hard drive and you boot into it. It's nice because you get the choice. You get to choose, am I going to run Windows today or OS X today? But the disadvantage is you can't run any... Uh, Mac stuff. You you know you're pretty much you're running Windows until such point uh, as you uh, as you decide to uh, reboot. The virtual machine lets you do both, which is kind of handy. With the virtual machine, uh, you're still running OS 10. You just open a window on OS 10 that's running Internet Explorer. Oh God, excuse me. I'm sorry. I <clears throat> gagged on that one a little bit. You're running Internet Explorer in Windows, and uh, so <laughs> I, wish you, I wish you would tell the IT department. To to give me the, leave their number and I'll call them. That's ridiculous. Um, the the only disadvantage to doing that is it's a little bit slower. Yeah, and you're and you're sharing resources, so you have to use you know for you've got whatever four gigs of RAM. It's split between Windows and OS 10. You've got the processor. It's split between Windows and OS 10. But VirtualBox, which is free, will let you choose how much processor and how much memory to give Windows. Um, if all you're doing is running Internet Explorer, I think you probably don't need to do uh, boot camp. Bootcamp's mostly if you want a lot of speed or you just want to run Windows natively. Right. Well, the only thing I found that wouldn't work with the virtual machine was it won't connect to the printer for some reason. It will do everything else, although for it probably will. It's just uh, you gotta you gotta mess with it. USB printer. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. to the Mac. You have to you have to tell VirtualBox grab that USB port. It's a, it's there. It's a, it's a little complicated, but it's, you can, it's doable. Leo Laporte. Scott Wilkinson is here. He is the editor-in-chief of the Ultimate AV Magazine. That's actually the name of it. That is. The Ultimate AV Magazine at ultimateavmag.com. He's also a columnist for Home Theater Magazine, hometheatermag.com, and joins us every week to talk about home theater. In fact, i got to get you. You're going to be up in town soon, right? I am. Uh, in August, I think. So we'll, we'll do a whole uh, home theater show with you the next time you're in town. You bet. Love to. Yeah, yeah. I'd like yeah. to do that. So Scott, we should say to, Scott also does a I you know disclaimer full ex disclosure here does a podcast <laughs> for us. It's called the Home Theater Geeks Show, and you can listen to it. Uh, well, you can watch it live Monday afternoons, one thirty Pacific, four thirty Eastern, at live.twit.tv. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download it anytime from twit twit.tv slash htg. But you know what? I have links to all that in the in the show notes at techguylabs. The, the wonders the wonders of internet broadcasting. I just love it. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. In fact, you've got a, a very very favorite person of mine on the show uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Bob Heil himself, host of another Twit podcast, uh, Ham Nation. Since he's a big, big old ham. He's turning me into a ham, you know. He is, really. Are you taking the test and everything? I will. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to take the technician test. and um, Because when we have the new studio, I want to have a, ha a ham station in the new studio. Oh, that's going to be so cool. Yeah. People, ICOM's going to give us a bunch of equipment. We'll have it all set up, and people can broadcast from there. Do you know what your call sign's going to be? I know what we're trying to get. Yeah. Whiskey 6, Tango, Whiskey, Tango. Ooh, very nice. TWT, because it's the Twit Network. But, oh, you know, of course. Now, don't tell anybody. I don't want this to get out. Yeah. But apparently in October, there's a call sign to come up with that is going to be available with LEO in it. So I want to try Ooh. to, by then, I want to be able to be, I can't remember what it was, like uh, K6LEO. It would be cool, wouldn't it? That would be super cool. Yeah. 
But I'm not a ham yet, so it's all, you know, i got to take that test. (laughs) I'm sure you'll do just fine. It should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. Anyway, we're going to talk, I'm going to be talking with uh, Bob about uh, his early days in the home theater business. He was one of the first people to get satellite TV going. Yes. And because he was a ham. Yes. So he's got a lot of great stories to tell about that. Also, his days on the road with the Grateful Dead. <laughs> and the Who. And Joe Walsh and the Eagles. I mean, this yes. guy has been yes. around. He's the guy who made the talk box for Peter Frampton. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, oh, I'll have to ask him about that as, as well then. It's called the Heil Talk Box. It's in the oh Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's incredible. Got, they, they wiped the spit off. Don't worry. Yeah, good. I'm glad for that. <laughs> so tell us, give us uh, your, your Q&A for today. Well, I got some Q&A today, yes. Um, I got uh, an email from a fellow named Shaw who uh, asks what, what I think of the 2011 Panasonic plasmas, especially the VT and GT series. Oh, why that- do we even have to ask? We know you love it. I love Panasonic, yeah. um, I, but it's an important question. He also asks, how do they compare to, the, to my beloved Kuro in terms of black levels? <laughs> ah, well, you can't get the Kuro anymore. You can't so get the Kuro anymore. Point. Made by Pioneer, was made by Pioneer. I got one of the last ones. As you got I. one of the last ones. Love yes. it! <laughs> and so far, no flat panel TV has, has matched it. Really? In, in terms of black level. Even these newest Panasonics. Really? Yep. And Did a they lot close of, the Pioneer plant? I mean, don't they have the capability of making it anymore? I mean, I'm, I'm sure they do since they did at one point. I believe the reason they're not. And I have to say also that Panasonic acquired the intellectual property from Pioneer and hired many of their engineers. Well, that's, that's baffling then. So you go, why not? Well, the reason I think is, and I've asked Panasonic this, and they're, they're pretty cagey about it. But I think the reason is that to do the same thing that Pioneer did would cost too much. The, the, the panel would cost too much. And you know as well as I do that those Pioneer curls were really expensive. So the Panasonics are less expensive? Yeah, absolutely. Ah. Absolutely. They have to. I think Panasonic and all the rest of the flat panel makers realize that they can't make a $5,000 50-inch plasma or flat panel. They I just, see. you know, it won't sell. Nobody the Pioneer Pros didn't yeah. sell because yeah. they were too expensive. So I think that there, that that is one of the primary reasons. You'd think there might be an audiophile uh, or what do you call it, a video, video file uh, group that might be willing to pay more for for that. There would, there was, there is. This is too small of a. That's the problem. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. There is a video file community who would be willing to pay a lot of money for a Kuro quality plasma, but. Not enough for the manufacturers, for it to be worth the manufacturer's while. Right. So we have the Panasonic VT30 and GT30 and also ST30. These are the three top lines in the Panasonic 2011 model year. The VT30 actually looks very good. I, I can certainly recommend it. Its black level is a little bit higher than last year's VT25, which I find very interesting. I'm not, at least the one we measured. Now we're you know we're talking about pretty minor differences here, but we did put an ST30, a GT30, and a VT30 all in the, and a VT25 four TVs next to each other, fed them all the same signal, and took a look at them and compared them, and the VT25 from last year actually looked the best because it had the lowest black level by a little bit. 
Uh, VT30, this year's top of the line flagship, uh, looked very good as well. And if you can spend that kind of money, um, I don't remember how much it is exactly. It's not as much as a Kuro, but it's still the most expensive of the Panasonic lines. Then that would be the one to get. If you want to go down scale from there, uh, <clears throat> you get to the GT30 and then to the ST30. And the difference between those two models is about 400 bucks. And we do not recommend spending the extra 400 bucks on the GT30. If you're going to go downscale from the VT30, go directly to the ST30, save yourself 400 bucks. <laughs> you're not going to get uh, significantly better performance out of the GT30. I know I'm I doing just hope, I hope James DeRuvo's writing this down so we can send it to techguylabs.com <laughs> and is can see soup, all the... But that's, that's our business. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what I have to deal with every day. And you can read this at Ultimate AV Mag. You have all You this. certainly can. Or home th more to the point, at hometheater.com. Home but, but let me ask you this question. Sure. Why plasma anyway? Somebody in the chat room said, I would take my LED backlit LCD display from Samsung any day. Uh, Do you need to get plasma to really get the best quality picture? In my opinion, I prefer plasma. I do. And the reason is that LCD TVs have done a number of things to solve certain problems that plasmas don't have in the first place. For example, LED backlighting gives you better black levels. And if it's true backlighting, if the LEDs are behind the panel rather than around the edges, which is what's most common these days, then you, you can get a very good contrast ratio because the LEDs behind the dark parts of the image dim and the LEDs behind the bright parts of the image brighten. So that gives you a nice contrast ratio. But then there's the issue of motion lag. LCDs uh, change their state from on to off and in between relatively slowly. And so they do, they've implemented something called frame interpolation which creates brand new frames in between the ones that are actually coming from the Blu-ray player or the broadcast source or something like that. And that's fine. It does sharpen things up. But it also causes something called uh, the um, soap opera effect. And Everything that, looks kind of plastic. And, uh... Everything looks kind of plasticky, kind of like it was shot on video, particularly bad on movies. And video files hate this. All right, all right. We'll so, get plasma. <laughs> if, you, if you can control your light. You realize that 90% of the people listening right now have yeah. LCD screens. I know they do because that's the far more popular choice because and it's you know much what, brighter. It, HDTV, especially if you're using a Blu-ray player, a really good HD quality signal into it, yep. looks so much better. The worst LCD looks better than the best TV that you had five years ago. So uh, yeah. don't worry about it. I agree. I agree. I agree. We're I'm talking we're, as a video We're file. picking nits. This is, we are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking as a video file. Scott Wilkinson, editor-in-chief, ultimateavmag.com. His podcast, Home Theater Geeks, is at twit.tv slash htg. We'll talk to you next week. You bet. Thanks so much. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. In the name of love. Leo Laporte, uh, 8888 Ask Leo. That's the phone number if you have a question, a comment, a suggestion. You want to talk about high tech? I'd love to talk about it with you. You know, the tech community is going crazy over this Google+. Plus. They're real. I mean, this is the Google social network. They're just loving Google+. And I was just looking to see who the most followed people are. And Mark Zuckerberg, yes, uh, that Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, is the number one person on Google's new social network. He has almost 100,000 followers, almost twice as many as the number two person who's Larry Page, the CEO of Google. 
So Facebook's founder has twice as many followers as Google's founder on Google's own social network. Then Sergey Brin, the other founder of Google. <laughs> Number four, Robert Scoble, who is a uh, well-known blogger and, and, and an early adopter. He jumps on every network that's out there. He jumps on, jumps on it instantly. Then Vic Gundotra, who is that senior vice president at Google, who's really in, in charge of the social network. So the, the number five position, the guy in charge of it, number one position, their number one competitor. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, now, I, I don't know how easy it is to become a member of Google Plus at this point. Uh, it is still invitation only. You remember when Gmail started, Google's mail system, it was very hot. Everybody wanted to get a Gmail account. and there was, They were actually selling Gmail invites on eBay for a lot of money. I don't think that's what's going on for Google. Well, is it? Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, I noticed that I see an invitation button on my Google Plus now. I think they've opened it up a little bit more. So if you really want to get on Google Plus, don't pay on, don't pay for it. Just uh, don't, and don't ask me. <laughs> I got a lot of people asking for invitations. Just find a friend who, who will invite you. They, they, Google actually has been pretty clear about this, that they, they want you, if you invite people, they want you to invite people you know. Uh, not strangers on the street. And I know this uh, because uh, one of my co uh, cohorts, one of my colleagues, who shall remain nameless, um, decided just to invite you know hundreds of people and, and, and earned the ire of Google. So don't ask me for an invite. Ask a friend. But the chances are a friend's on. I mean, it's, I have to say, it's, it's pretty darn cool. And the Hangouts especially are, uh, are really great. They've done a nice job of this. 8888-ASK-LEO is the number. John's in San Jose. John Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yeah, Leo, um, I've been trying to get this answer from a lot of people. I want to sign up for Skype. And like so many websites, they want to know my birth date. And I'm, I'm not paranoid about giving out personal information, but I don't know why they need that. And how come all of these sites, and it's not just them, it's a lot of others that want to know your exact birth date. Because of the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, the oh. federal government makes it illegal for a service to collect information on people under 13. And in order oh. to comply with that, they have to find out if you are under 13. So you can lie, and I encourage you to lie. If you're uncomfortable with it, don't. I have no hesitation. Look, any time any online service asks me for personal information, I know mom and dad taught you never to lie, John. It's okay to lie. I told my kids this. I said, in fact, I encourage you to lie because it's up to you whether you want to give them information or not. Well, two things about that. Um, I did lie. <laughs> I tried but just don't, don't lie that you're under 13 because then you won't get an account. Well, yeah, I told them I was 100. That's fine. And it wouldn't accept it. It says you're not eligible. Oh, well, make it under 100 then. Make it, make it a less obvious lie, perhaps. Sounds like their software's messed up. Say, say, you're, you know, say you're 20. 21. Yeah, I thought they were 
marketing. They were using this for. They were selling your name to spammers because with the in it because if they get your birth date and your email address, the the value of that it brings up higher price for spammers. Not for spammers, but for marketers. They're not. I can almost assure you. I can't promise because I don't know, but I can almost assure you that no reputable company and Skype is a reputable company. They're owned by eBay, is not giving their mailing list to spammers. Don't don't distinguish. You got to distinguish spammers from marketers. They may, you know, um, Skype's free. And we have this kind of kind of um, we have this kind of notion that everything should be free on the net, right? You're making free calls on Skype, and at the same time, we're saying, and and I don't want to give you any information. Well, let me tell you something. Facebook is free because they're selling ads. They're selling ads against your personal information. Not that they're selling your name to, 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 to spammers or giving your email address to spammers. I'm sure they're not giving out your email address. You should read the privacy statement on any site, including Skype, before you give them information. But you got to understand, stuff's free so that they can sell advertising against you. There's a fa well-known saying, great saying. If you're not paying for a product, then you are the product. If you're not paying for a product, then you are the product. If you're not paying for Facebook, the way Facebook pays for all those servers, all that infrastructure, tens of thousands of employees, the money doesn't come out of nowhere, it comes out of advertising. What are they selling? You, your eyeballs, your attention. And in order to make a little more money on advertising, Facebook and Skype and everybody else would love to have some demographic information. They'd like to know your zip code. They'd like to know your age. They'd like to know how much you make. They'd like to know how educated you are. They'd like to know what kind of cars and clothes and magazines you buy. All of that stuff makes you more valuable to them. Who's got the upper hand on this one? Facebook. They know all that. They know all that stuff. Now, they say we don't reveal it. And, and I believe this is true. All they have to do is say to an advertiser, let's say they go to HBO and say, would you like to buy an ad on Facebook? HBO says, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Give me the names of your users. No, they don't do that. What they do is they say, okay, I can sell you 25 million uh, college-educated females between the ages of 35 and 45. Would you like that? And HBO says, that's exactly what we want. Well, it'll cost you this and that. Now, they don't reveal who you are. They're, this is what, what's known as selling your information in aggregate. Facebook knows if you're a 35 to 45-year-old college graduate, but they don't have to tell HBO that. They merely need to tell HBO that's what we're going to put those ads on those pages. That's why when you go to your Facebook's page, when I go to my Facebook page, it, it says, <laughs> Leo, 154-year-olds from Petaluma use Viagra. How about you? Now, you might look at that and go, what? <laughs> How did they know that I'm from Petaluma and I'm 54 and that I need Viagra? Well, because I told everybody that on my Facebook page. Now, is Facebook selling that to Pfizer? No. Facebook's merely telling Pfizer, hey, I can deliver a bunch of 54-year-olds. You want, you want them? And Pfizer's saying, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> Give me a few of those. I'll take some 68-year-olds, and if you got any 35-year-olds, I can take a few of those, too. So they... That, they, that's what's happening. And now, I don't know that Skype's doing that. It's always a good idea to read the privacy policy. Remember that just as you lie to Skype, they can lie about their privacy policy. There is no, you know, real oversight. In theory, if a company does business in the United States, they're regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. And if they make unlawful, untruthful statements online, uh, they can be investigated and the FTC can go after them.
But how often does that happen? Usually when a competitor complains. Well, most of the oversight for companies like Skype comes from competition, right? Comes from the other guy saying, let's see if they're really doing what they're doing. It's absolutely okay for you to lie, but just remember, there's a trade-off here. You know, there are people also run ad blockers when they go to websites. They don't see any ads. And I think that in some ways that's breaking the social contract. I know this is not a popular thing to talk about. Most geeks go, yeah, ad blockers, they're great. But really think about it. You're getting services for free. You get Facebook for free. Facebook needs to monetize. Google needs to monetize. Twitter needs to monetize. There's, you know, and if, if you're not buying a product from them, guess what? You are the product. And when you do an ad blocker, you're kind of, you're kind of stealing from them. Really, aren't you? You're saying, I want your service for free, but I'm not going to let you make any money off of me. In fact, when you lie to them, same thing. Now, I tell my kids it's okay to lie, but I give them the same lecture. I say, it's okay to lie because you're a kid. You're under 18. It's okay to lie. Because none of these companies should be marketing to anybody under 18, period. That's just not right. That's just my opinion. But, th but I also say, think about it. Do you like, do you use Facebook? Do you get value out of Facebook? Well, you've got to give them some value back. So if you're, un if, if you're under 18, it's okay to lie. If you're over 18, you might want to start thinking, what am I getting here? Is it worth something? Web 3677 says, no, none of these companies are hurting for money. Um, interesting point. How do you think they make that money? Is it okay to steal from them because they've got money? Let's talk about it. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888. Ask me. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. It's time to talk about computers and the internet and cell phones and all that stuff. 8888-ASK-LEO is the phone number. Website is techguylabs.com. If you go there, you can see the phone number, the chat room, which is always a lot of fun, um, the live video stream, all the stuff that we do for free. 8888-ASK-LEO. I mentioned that for free because, you know, as we were talking about last hour, uh, we, we kind of there's this culture of great free stuff on the internet. And you know where it started? Broadcast TV and radio. Started with radio. You're listening right now to free media supported by ads. And um, I think that's a f I think that's a good trade, don't you? Uh, there, unfortunately, there are no ad blockers for radio, but uh, quite a quite a tempest was stirred up by TiVo and other DVRs. In fact, the the the, the Real problem was a company called Replay, which is now out of business, because Replay put a 30-second skip button on their remote control, which meant you're watching a Replay recording. It's a DVR. You're watching it, and you get to the ads. You press skip, 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 and you're now watching the program again. It was too easy to skip the ads, and it was very upsetting to the companies making the programming to the television networks, to the television stations, because those ads are how they pay the bill. If everybody skips ads, then you can't get free media anymore. Notice, incidentally, that, that increasingly we don't have free media on television, that you pay the cable company, and the cable company pays HBO and pays NBC and pays CBS, that there is, in fact, it, how much is your cable bill? How much a month? Or your satellite bill? It's not free anymore, is it? This actually... Radio, broadcast radio, is the last best deal in free media. 
So please, you know, when you hear an ad on the show, patronize the sponsors. That's that's the tit for tat. And and I think, you know, uh, that's the same thing on free websites. I'm very aware of this because I provide free media on the Internet as well. We do about 20 shows uh, on our netcast network, Twit. And that's all supported by advertising. Actually, some of it's there. This is a, it's a hybrid model because we do ask for donations and we get some donations. Uh, but but uh, mo more than 95 percent of our uh, costs are paid for by advertising. Uh, I think that's a good way to go. But for some reason, we've all got it in our heads that the Internet, Facebook, should be free. And advertising is bad on Facebook. Partly that's because of, uh, during, remember, the Internet bubble 10 years ago, when there were all these great free services. I mean, it was, it was, it was wonderful. I, even then, I said, you know, enjoy this because this isn't going to last. And it didn't, did it? All that money was provided by, by investors and uh, the stock market to keep those companies running. But at some point, investors and stockholders demand profit. <laughs> and if there's no profit, those companies go away. There is no pets.com. It's gone because there was no profit in it. And they were selling stuff. So ultimately, a company has to make money to survive. And if it's, an, if it's free ad-supported content, then the ads are what makes it happen. And if you block the ads, that stuff's going to go away. I, I don't really know how Google makes YouTube work. I mean, YouTube, uh, the costs, the bandwidth costs for YouTube, I'm sure far outweigh any of the money YouTube can make. And do notice that YouTube has more and 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 more ads. There's, there's so many ads on YouTube at this point. <laughs> And that you know, it's 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 cluttered, it's cluttered, isn't it? And I have to think that uh, that's Google's attempt to to kind of pay for it. So it's just it's an interesting uh, point, and I, I, I think it's an important point. Um, and I th I'd love to talk about it with you. By the way, the chat room is a great place to get a side conversation going. These people are so great. There's 771 people in there. We've got our moderators, Dan and CWBP and Darthema. She's a professor of geology, if you have any geology questions. Hip, Houdini, Inferno, Kevin H., Mick. We call him Mick the Wick because he's a candle maker. If you have any candle making questions, ask Mick. Nightflyer, Sly Ferret, Tech Zen, Warpoli. They're all in there keeping an eye on things, making it safe for the family. Thank you. They're all volunteers. I appreciate that. That's another way things like this happen. This chat room is free and is, is, is really a great environment, and it's free because those people donate their time. We donate the server, but those people donate their time, and there's no ads in that chat room. That's, that's just uh, something we do for fun. So get on in there and, and, uh, and join in the fun, and I'll tell you why I do it, because they're my brain. Because if I can't remember something, I just say, hey, chat room, what's the name of the And within seconds, they'll say, oh, yeah, Leo, you're talking about. They're so smart. So get in there and enjoy, and enjoy it. You'll find a link to the chat room, to the live video, also free. To the downloads, also free. To all the content in the show notes, free, too, at techguylabs.com. Mike's in Portland, Maine, our next caller. Hi, Mike. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good morning, or good afternoon, or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> Hello there! Well, we're all over the world, so it's morning somewhere. Um, can I make a couple of quick comments before I get to my question? I would love that, sure. One is that you have incredible producers. Having worked in radio, people don't realize the kind of work that they do behind the scenes and how 
you're the talent. You do a lot. You have all this knowledge and all that, and you run the show, but they're running you, and they are just incredible and deserve a lot of credit. Matt and Gina today in the uh, control room, you're absolutely right. You can't do a show like this without really good people behind the scenes. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is last night for the first time, and, yeah, I'm way behind the times, I saw the social network. Now, I'm not a Facebook guy. I'm an old guy. Um, I don't know if I'm older than you or not, but we're probably in a similar ballpark. I have no interest in Facebook. I don't need my friends that don't know me knowing everything about me. But after I saw the movie, I like the idea of Facebook even less. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about it that, that, that scared you? By the way, we should point out, and I really want to point this out, that that was a work of fiction in many respects. So don't I'm assume sure that that is an accurate... For instance, Mark Zuckerberg has had the same girlfriend... Since before Facebook was started, that whole thing about him being dumped by a girl and creating Facebook is bogus. Yeah, but the whole idea about the fact that it's there, and I don't mind people making money. I think it's great to make money. I use Google all the time. I don't use all the products of Google, but it's the best search around, and I know that they're targeting me and looking at stuff. And But I keep my privacy private, and I don't want any of that information all sold where uh, all over the world. I, I and, agree, and, and that's and, absolutely your choice, and I think that that's a completely legitimate choice to make. In fact, I think it's important that people understand it and make an informed choice, and you are, and that's great. I commend you. I think a lot of people of my, use Facebook and don't think about it. That's a problem. Well, that's one of my concerns, is that most people, including my little 16-year-old niece, don't realize that what they're putting up there is there forever. I She's know. careful about and her parents monitor and stuff like that. But it's becoming so ubiquitous that there are certain organizations or places that I would like to get some information from, but I can't find a web presence as much as I need to find a Facebook presence, and I can't get onto their Facebook page unless I'm a member, and I don't want to be a member to get information back. Yeah, from and that's one thing I've said over and over again, that a Facebook page is not a web page. Facebook kind of wants people to conflate the Internet and Facebook, to think that if the Facebook is the Internet, and it isn't. It's Facebook, so you're absolutely right. And any business that doesn't have a web page separate from their Facebook page, shame on you that you should not require your customers to be members. But there are some businesses that have both are offering certain products or specials or discounts or whatever if you're on their Facebook page. Well, but that's not. Uh, well, okay. And why do you think they do that? Well, because I'm sure they're collecting my information too. That's right. So that's exactly why they give you the thing that they're giving you is your is your payment for giving them information. If you don't want to give them information, fine, but don't expect the payment. Exactly. exactly. And I think that what's important, and you, you're hitting the nail on the head, Mike, this is a choice that we all have to make, and we need to make it explicitly and be aware of it, and especially kids. I tell When I talk to kids, I tell them over and over again, if it's on the Internet, it's public. If you're putting it on the Internet, it's public. Don't put anything on the Internet you wouldn't want your family, your friends, your teachers, and future employers to see. Because if it's on the Internet, it is public. Leo Laporte, Tech. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. 888-827-5536. Website is techguylabs.com. And uh, we were talking with Mike, uh, who's up in uh, Portland, Maine. I think it was Mike, yes? Yes, it was me. All right. Uh, and you got me started, and then I didn't get a chance to answer your question. So let's pretend I'm talking to you for the first time. Hi, Mike. Portland, Maine. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, I did, didn't mean to get you started, but I had a feeling that I might. So anyway. No, I'm glad you did, because I think you're right on. If you choose not to use Facebook, 
great. Uh, and if you use Facebook, understand what you're doing. And I think that's really important. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Leo, I'm one of those guys that when I get a computer, I keep it not until it falls apart, but until I really need to change things out. And my computer right now is three years old, and I'm not an expert on computers, but I know enough to get me in serious trouble and know when to call you. So that's <laughs> I, when I bought it, I purchased it with a RAID array because I thought what that would do is not only is it going to, I mean, I got Carbonite and all those other things and do backups, but this is going to keep my Windows XP, which is what I'm running, up to date, and I'm not going to have to continue to reinstall it. Should I lose one hard drive? Theoretically, I got another one that's going to go. Yeah, that's a certain kind of RAID called mirroring, where you have two drives in your machine uh, identical. If one fails... Depending on how well the mirroring is done, if one fails, you can put another one in and you're back. You're good to go. You haven't lost any data. Uh, it's it's essentially a redundant drive. That's what RAID stands for. And that's what my question is right now. The drives are three years old. The Hitachi drives are probably still working right now, but I'm at the point where I'm probably going to see a failure at some point or another. That's because drives fail at that point. And I'm wondering if I did 500 gigabyte SATA drives, from what I understand. I'm wondering if I should go out and buy two more drives, install one, let it copy it over, and then install the other one, and then I'm good for another three years. And I'm wondering if they need to be the same drive that I have in there now, meaning a Hitachi, whatever it happens yeah. to be, or any. So um, you're, you're saying swap them out prophylactically, assuming that they might be about to fail. The problem, unfortunately, is it's unpredictable. We don't really know when drives are going to fail. Sometimes they fail right away. Sometimes they fail in three years. Sometimes they don't fail for 30 years. And we just don't know. Google did a longitudinal study on its drives. As you might imagine, Google uses a lot of drives. And uh, what they found is that drives either die right away in the first few months uh, because of a manufacturing defect or whatever, or if they survive that first few months, they tend to go pretty reliably for two years, and then they start dying at the rate of 8% a year, very consistently, year after year after year. That doesn't mean your drive's going to die. It just means that there's an 8% chance each year that it will. Um, I, you know, the, One of the advantages of doing what you're doing is you could wait for a drive to fail. That's the other thing that I thought. I figured if one failed, then I'm okay. But the question is, and this is what I'm not sure about with RAID, do I have to get the exact same drive? You do. Can I get a you do. It size? does depend on how your RAID is uh, conformed, but almost all uh, RAID uh, controllers built into PCs, and actually there is in hardware, it's a software RAID or BIOS RAID, but most RAID in PCs does is very finicky about the drives. They have to be exactly the same. They have to be exactly the same, uh, the drive. same that I have. So I need to find that brand Hitachi drive to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Well. I lost you, Leo. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. I and think I mean, you could use a different brand. My controller is an Intel Matrix storage console, is what it says. Oh, okay. So you have a hardware controller. Yeah, you should you should look in the you should look in the manual for your controller, but. Um, What'll happen is the smallest, if you put uh, heterogeneous drives in, non-matching drives in, the RAID would assume in most cases that the smallest drive is the drive size of the new one, even if it's bigger. I, my, my experience has been if a drive fails, uh, you want to replace it with a duplicate, an exact copy. You get better results. But I would check their uh, manual, their instructions. In theory, you don't have to have the same drive. Because 500 gigabytes is enough size for me, believe it or not. I don't use that much. In fact, I could probably go smaller. The problem is you're not going to find it. 
Oh, well, I won't find the Hitachi. I know I can find some Western Digital. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem is that these drives are starting to go away. So uh, I, I, my suspicion is you could put any drive in there, and it would rebuild the, uh, the, the mirrored array. And what it would say is we now have two 500-gigabyte drives in there. But it ha the problem is that some of the cruddier PC BIOS RAID has, is very finicky. But you have an Intel RAID card, so I think you're going to be okay. You're, you're, you know, I mean, if, if I, my suggestion is let it die. Okay. I, I, that makes sense, too. I, I'm trying to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very careful about things. I believe in prophylactics in so many ways. You can't believe it. But, uh, <laughs> well, if you want to be prophylactic, get two drives that match. Well, that's what I would do. I would get yeah. two, and I would, you know, replace one, then replace the and other. Then replace the other. You should be able to do that. The good news is you're doing it before anything's failed, so if it doesn't work, you can put the old one back in, and you'll be back to, back to normal. Well, thank you very much. Good question, Mike. Thank you. That's an interesting question. Most of the time, I don't recommend... Um, certainly, I think this is the important point. Mirroring is great, because if a drive fails, you're not out any data, but it is not backing up. So don't confuse mirroring with backing up, because it's in the same machine. Uh, it's very easy for a RAID failure to happen. That that lo you lose all your data. So uh, my suggestion is you continue to do whatever backing up you do. This is just one more part of it. I know a lot of people who buy mirrored arrays of drives and say, I'm backed up. Yeah, not really. You need to have an external backup, and I would suggest an off-site backup. Remember that 3-2-1 thing? I, I'll just say it again. It's Peter Krog gets credit for it. He wrote the digital asset management book, the damn book, and he said backup is 3-2-1, three copies, original plus two copies. And I would consider a mirrored RAID one copy, okay? So three copies, two different media, so hard drive and something else. And one of those should be off-site. A, a mirror, uh, a RAID array is, is, is absolutely the opposite of off-site. It's sitting right next to that drive. Something bad happens to that computer. Uh, somebody steals the computer, they've stolen your backup. That's not a backup. So make, a, make an additional external backup, and I would still get an off-site backup, to, just to be absolutely safe. Mirroring is more about, as the chat room said, and I think this is absolutely right, thank you, Coolby, fault tolerance. It's about surviving a, f a, f a crash or surviving data loss. It is not backing up. There is a distinction. Darren in San Francisco, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Darren. Hi, Leo. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. What can I do? Well, I uh, recently discovered the WD, uh, I believe it's called uh, WD Life. It's uh, similar to the Apple TV. Yep. Uh, it's a little box you place on the... Uh, on yeah, a number your, of companies uh, make these. Roku, uh, Sony. The, the WD is quite good, actually. And that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you because there's so many out there. And I was considering the Apple TV, but I'm understanding that it's quite limited. And yes. I was wondering what you, re what you recommend and what you found out about these. Guys. Well, that's exactly the issue is what does it support? Now, all of them are the same idea. It's a way to connect the Internet to your television. Most of them have HDMI connectors on the back to make it easy connect to connect to an HDTV. They'll have an Ethernet port or a Wi-Fi port or both. Uh, you should you should pay attention to that. Uh, my friend Veronica Belmont created, with the help of a lot of viewers, she does a show called Techzilla, a great Google Doc, bit.ly slash settop, S-E-T-T-O-P, that has specs for all of these boxes. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
8888-ASK-LEO. I was just talking about the studio move. This is really exciting. We're getting very close. Two weeks from today will be the last Tech Guy show that I will do in the old Tech Guy Labs, which is a, you know, 100-year-old, beautiful 100-year-old cottage. Uh, we've been doing uh, the shows here for five years. Um, I will I will pick up my ball because I, I sit on an exercise ball, not a chair. But I will pick up my ball. I will take my headphones because every every good disc jockey takes his headphones with him wherever he goes. Have headphones will travel, and I, the, the new studio is two blocks away. So we'll have a, we're gonna have a little mini parade of me and a few employees carrying stuff. I'm trying to save on movers, and we will walk. <laughs> we will walk down the sidewalk to the new uh, studios. Now, we we have a lot more room in the new studios, and I think uh, we've already, don't please don't ask for uh, seats in the new place because we've already got, uh, we have, uh, we figured 50 people in there. So we've already um, uh, had requests for 50 people to, I should have charged money. What was I thinking? Anyway, it's 50 people are going to be there already waiting for me. We've got a big ribbon, a giant pair of scissors, apparently. I will try and endeavor not to stab my ball and pop it, but instead cut the ribbon, and we'll go into the new studio, and then we'll start broadcasting from there. So, two weeks hence, uh, the new, and we're calling it the Twit Brick House because it's a beautiful brick facility, but also because uh, we've been uh, raising money for this studio. It's a million-dollar studio, uh, and uh, that uh, out of my pockets, by the way. <laughs> And Exchange Bank of Petaluma, thank you, Exchange Bank. Um, but we're we're putting we're having a wall of honor in the in the entryway there, and we're selling bricks to people if they want to uh, put their name up there, and that's helping to fray the cost. We've sold over a thousand, so very nice. Thank you, all the folks who uh, have bought bricks uh, so far. We appreciate that. Um, I'm excited. It's it should be a great studio and a great place to do the show. One of the things that we did, which is a little weird, we didn't want to discombobulate people who watch the show on video and haven't been paying close attention. So we've duplicated the studio that I'm in, in the new studio. It won't look exactly the same, but it will, it will look so close as to fool anybody who's not paying close attention. Actually, I'm going to have to make a box of all my uh, stuff on the shelf back here. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to, I'll have to take the clock and my Emmy Award. I'll leave the rest. Some of my hats. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. I look forward to it. We won't do the radio. We, we, that gives us a week, by the way, before we have to do the next radio show. And I did that on purpose. If I'm going to screw up any shows, it'll be my netcast, not this show. This show is important. Michael's in Shelbyville, Tennessee. You're our next caller. Hey, Michael, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Leo, from a uh, happy Google Plus user. You know, we haven't talked much about it, and I've been res I've been a little resistant, mostly because it hasn't been open to the public. But now that they've started to send out invitations, I, I think we could talk a little bit about it. What do you think? Well, I, I got in it on the first day, and so I sat around for, what, a week or so waiting for friends to be able to get on board. So I followed you and Brian Brushwood. And <laughs> a few of my friends. It's been kind of fun, actually. Um, but these sites are always more fun, at least for me, when they're not yet quite open to the public. When it's just me and my buddies. Yes. Uh, you know, then it's like a little clubhouse. And uh, now it's opening to the public. You know, it's funny. The Internet was like that in the early days. Old timers on the Internet remember something they call the AOL Summer. For a long time on America Online, you couldn't get onto the full Internet. You couldn't browse websites or anything like that. You could just use AOL. And one summer, I don't remember what year it was, 98, something like that, AOL 
95? Okay. AOL added the Internet. And all of us who were using the Internet were more sophisticated at the time because, we, you know, you had to jump through some hoops to use this thing. And everybody was going, oh, my gosh, here, they, here come the hordes. And they call that summer the Internet Summer because real people started using it. Now, I'm, an, I'm a Democrat uh, with a lowercase d. I believe that everybody should have access to this and, the, and, uh, and other sites. But uh, Facebook, same thing. Remember, Facebook was just university students. And then they opened it up a couple of years ago to the public. It, changed, it does change it. It does change it. But it, in the long run, it makes it better, I think. I hope. So you're happy. You like it? Yeah. The only thing, I, I, can't, uh, I can't connect to a hideout for some reason on my iMac. The Hangouts. Uh, uh, you you yeah. downloaded the Hangout uh, software? You know you have to have some software. Yeah, it, it just tells me that the uh, Google Talk plugin um, failed and that oh, I'm already connected to, uh, to video or, or what have you. They'll, they'll work that out. But uh, Yeah, I think, you'll, I think you'll like the Hangouts. I, a lot of uh, people, you know, some interesting people, too, for a while. Michael Dell, the guy who started Dell Computer, was doing a Hangout every night with anybody. You know, it was hard to get into. You had to be one of the first nine people. But, boy, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So what can I do for you today? Well, Leo, I'm a station director for the geekiest, nerdiest, non-tech-related Internet radio um, station on the Internet. Well, and, wait a uh, minute. Now let's get a plug. What is that? Well, now I know that you are somewhat of a fan of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien because you reference quite often whether you're going to dress up as Gandalf or... <laughs> And, uh, we are uh, part of a network that is uh, 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 all about Tolkien, uh, well, high fantasy. Um, awesome. And uh, the radio station is just one part of the network. I run that. It's at MiddleEarthNetwork.com. Okay. And, uh, my, my, my question is... Do you, what kind of, I mean, is it you play, what kind of music do you play? Middle Earth music? Well, uh, soundtracks, uh, Celtic... Anything that would give I think I would like this. MiddleEarthNetwork.com, huh? Yes, anything that would give the, the vibe of high fantasy. Well, we even sneak in the, uh, the, the Led Zeppelin songs that are reported to be uh, well, um, yeah. related. The Misty we pay all of our fees. We're across the board. Um, uh, everything's on the up and up. And you have a social network. You have a little store here. You have the number one news source for Middle Earth. Oh, and we have a lot more that's uh, coming, and we're getting ready to launch. We're, we're, we're leaving beta here in a couple of weeks. This is the coolest thing ever. I love this. Well, what I want to know is I want to be able to – we are planning on, on attending uh, the, uh, the festivals and the uh, uh, you know, Comic-Con and all those things in the near future. I want to be able to live remote broadcast. Um, and so I've already been researching, but I figured I need to go to you. Because you're going to answer my question. You're the, you're <laughs> I am the so. king of live remote broadcasting. Do you want to do audio or audio plus video? Well, we're going to start off just audio, and then when we get to the video, then I'll have to ask you about uh, how we go about renting that. Uh, <laughs> the live that view, gear. yeah. Audio yeah. is so much, 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 much easier. I highly encourage you to do audio. Well, I'm thinking of getting a 13-inch Mac, uh, uh, Air, Mac Air. Okay. Um, I broadcast. Uh, our, our stream is at 128, but normally when I connect to the to the stream uh, via Nicecast, I do it at 64. Oh, you just solved your problem. Okay. So, so you're using so you're using a, a Shoutcast or Icecast 
server. These are this yeah. is a uh, IceCast is the open source version of Shoutcast. Shoutcast was created by the folks at Winamp as a way to do an internet radio station, an internet broadcast station using MP3s. It's really MP3 broadcasting, and it's a great service. There's a I don't know, tens of thousands of Shoutcast and IceCast stations out there. NiceCast from Rogue Amoeba is a great program for Macintosh for people who want to broadcast. All you need is an internet connection, the NiceCast software, and then any audio that comes over the computer, including if you've got a microphone, your voice, uh, will be sent to the icecast server and then rebroadcast to the world it's in fact how exactly we don't use nicecast but it's exactly how i broadcast the audio from twit um so you're set you've got the the air should be fast enough if you've got enough bandwidth where you are at comic-con you should i mean 128 That's, kilobits is not challenging you should be able to get that much with a with a mi-fi unit yes a verizon mi-fi unit absolutely Yes. Absolutely. Now, okay. you should do some testing on the MiFi. It may be, you know, sometimes... Well, I'm going to take a break and come back and explain what MiFi is and All why right. the bandwidth is not consistent. But we'll talk about this in a second. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. We were talking with uh, Michael in Shelbyville, Tennessee. He's got... Uh, boy, uh, Michael, I've been, I've been browsing around the... Uh, the, the the site this is uh, now so this is brand new uh yes we've been working on it for a few months and like i said we're getting ready to to launch it officially uh, your timing so is good of course because peter jackson is shooting the hobbit right now you know the lord of the rings trilogy was a great success but but uh, you know that's kind of died out a little bit amongst the general public anyway and uh, i think the hobbit though is going to bring it all back again middleearthnetwork.com yeah well, you'd be proud of me. I do a podcast with my 11-year-old son. Oh, that's great. You yeah. know, when I was a kid, my mom read The Hobbit to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I loved it. It took us a long time. But I loved it. I was probably, I don't know, what, six, seven? And I uh, yep. be became a fan from that point on. I, I, I agree with you. And I, I still love uh, science fiction and fantasy. Fantasy's great. So, so you're doing this radio station. And anybody who's interested in this, this is really... Um, a simple way to do your own radio station, but the problem is going to be bandwidth. So, NiceCast uh, is a program for the Mac, but they're programs for Windows as well. They will they will take whatever you're doing on the computer, send it over the internet to a server, and this is the key to a server, which then transmits the audio to many many people. It's the server that has to have a lot of bandwidth. The your computer doesn't. It only needs to send one stream. So if it's a high-quality stream that's 128,000 bits per second, most Internet connections can reliably give you that. But you mentioned you want to use the 3G networks. You want to use a MiFi. That's a yeah, and it's for just remote uh, plugging in uh, um, you know, uh, from, for live reports. And I'm wondering if it'll be uh, better to, to try a MiFi unit or tethering through a smartphone. Uh, uh, pretty much the same. Okay, I pretty much the same. That. Now, now you're, this is in San Diego. I don't know, but I think they have 4G, don't they? So if you uh, had a 4G phone or a 4G MiFi, you'd get better results. But here's the thing: my experience has been, you remember, there's a, almost all of these networks are faster downloading than they are uploading, and it's uploading speed that you care about. Right. They're also inconsistent, as is any 3G or cell phone data network, because it's totally dependent on the number of people on that cell site. And this is why conferences are so challenging. 
You know, you're in uh, you're at Comic Con in San Diego at a convention center where there are a lot of nerds, and many of them are on the same. It's the same cell site for that whole that all of them. And they're all probably using data. So what we have found when we go to big events is that the bandwidth, the 3G bandwidth, or even the 4G bandwidth, just dwindles to nothing. Now, I don't think you need 128 kilobytes for voice. In fact, if it's mono, 64 kilobits is the same as 128 kilobits. 128 kilobits is, is two 64K channels, so you have left and right channel, but it's just your voice. It's mono. So 64K is your starting point. And you could even go down a little bit, maybe to 56K on the, you know, you, you can set that on your nice cast. And at that, right. po at that point, uh, I, would, I would expect that you'd be able to do that on a 3G network. That's not asking a lot. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but it's unpredictable, and it really does depend on how many people are using that cell, cell site. Right, right. Well, and if we're, you're just doing a quick, uh, uh, okay, now we're going to our roving reporter live at Comic-Con, you know. And well, just, it's not it, how quick it is, because if, it, it could be quick, but it could sound like, which, by the way, I'm sorry to the Network Operations Center, the Premier Radio Networks, and all the radio stations down the line. That was me, not you. I got about, <laughs> I've got about 160 engineers going, what? <laughs> what what happened? <laughs> huh? <laughs> um, okay. We have somebody in our chat room who says he's just about uh, five blocks from the convention center in San Diego. He's on Verizon's 4G network, their LTE modem, and he's getting, get this, 18 megabits download, 12 wow. megabits upload. But, well, that's the way to go. But he's probably all alone, right? There's not anybody at the convention center. What's going to happen when you get a bunch of people at the convention center? That depends on how many people, how much bandwidth Verizon's sending to that cell point. Because that's all shared at that cell point. All right. Well, okay. I, good I, luck. We'll be listening. That's exciting. All right. Thank you, Leo. I have to say, we have used at conventions, uh, we did it at Blog World, we've used a MiFi on 3G to stream video, which is even more demanding, and it's worked fine. Um, but I have to say, when you get you know, 10,000 nerds in the same room all using the same 3G network, it, it could be problematic. Uh we're going to get back to the phones in a second. I got Michael on the line. You're next, Michael, in Placentia. <laughs> he did something I do all the time. He made a video with his camera phone, but he made it sideways. <laughs> and now he wants to fix it. I'll tell you how. It's not as hard as you might think. Don't feel bad. I've done this a million times. <laughs> I good. I don't want to be alone. I like think this. you're not alone. Tell us what you did. Um, I have a Panasonic camera. And I was up in Yosemite taking pictures of the waterfalls because of so much rain we've had. And I wanted to capture as much of the waterfall as possible. And it's a vertical it. picture, isn't it? Yeah. So you shot it sideways. And, right, and I did it in video. <laughs> now a picture so, I can turn. Right, so now you got a sideways video. It's a, it's a portrait long ways video. Right. I do this all the time with, with my camera phone. Now, in theory, these, these phones and cameras will sense that you've turned it sideways. Certainly phones are supposed to do that. Um, but what you're going to get no matter what, and, and, but you understand this, is you're going to get a kind of a weird video, even if you rotate it, with black bars on the left and right. Correct. Because you can't widen it because you only got the lengthwise. But you can rotate it. 
So um, what I do, and I'm not necessarily recommending this. I'm going to ask the chat room if they have some other recommendations. But what I do is I use QuickTime Pro, which is an Apple product. It's not free. It's 40 bucks. It, you can open any video in QuickTime if you have the Pro version. And then go to the video properties, and it can just rotate it. Just like you would a picture. You can rotate it 90 degrees or 180 degrees. Um, I would guess that most video editors would have this capability. I know Adobe Premiere Elements does. I don't know if you have that. Um, I think, now somebody's telling me in the chat room, Uncle Bick says Picasa, which is uh, a free program from Google, which does handle video. It's really intended for stills primarily, but does handle video. They say Picasa will do it. Um, Technics is telling me that even Windows Movie Maker will do it. You probably want the latest one, which you can get at get.live.com. So Windows Live Movie Maker will also do that. You just have to dig through the, uh, the preferences to find the settings. Are you on Windows or Mac? Uh, Windows. Yeah. You, are, you can get this for free from Microsoft. Uh, just go to get.live.com, download Windows Live Movie Maker. What version of Windows are you on? Do you know? Um, I think I, we're going to go to, to, to uh, Windows 7 soon, so it's the one just before Oh, that. good. You're on Vista. Yeah, it requires Vista or 7. Okay. And you'll be able to open that movie, and I'm not, I can't tell you exactly where to go, but somewhere in the movie settings you'll be able to rotate the video. You can even crop it if you want. I don't think you're going to want to, but you know, in order to make it 4.3 video or 16.9 video without the bars, you could crop it. But what you'll do is you'll shorten the waterfall. You may not want to do that. No, I'd probably just leave it the way it is. Leave it the way it is. I see it all the time on social networks. You can always tell. I mean, it, it's a natural. That's what you do with stills. If you've got a vertical waterfall, you flip the camera. We're just not used to video having that kind of flipped ratio. Thanks for the call, Michael. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, a good day to you. How are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. It's time to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, Google+, Facebook, whatever's on your mind. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number to call. 8888-ASK-LEO. 888-827-5536. Toll-free from anywhere in the U.S. or outside the U.S. You can use Skype out to call because it is a toll-free number and it won't cost you anything. Um, we have a, a great website, techguylabs.com. You can go in there and uh, get a link to our chat room, too. Always fun in the chat room. I consider them my externalized brains. Brains! 869 people in there right now. So we've got two hams in the studio today. That's just a coincidence? I don't know. I think that the hams are coming out of the woodwork. There are quite a, it's, it, it, you know, I'm going to admit something. I thought ham radio was kind of dead. Because with the internet, you know, what? if you want to talk to somebody in Australia from here, you just use the internet and you make a Skype call. You get video, it's free, it's easy, you don't have to take a test, it's simple. You don't have to buy any equipment, you just need a computer and the internet. So I thought, well, why would anybody be a ham? You want to listen to faraway radio stations? They call that DXing. Yeah, you can have a special receiver and a big antenna on the roof. And it could be far away. But you do, or you could listen on the Internet. It sounds perfect. So I thought, why would anybody be a ham anymore? But, you know, there are a lot of good reasons to be a ham, and we really should honor the hams because a lot of this technology, including cell phones, the Internet itself, comes from people in the ham community, the amateur radio community, who... Have, have pioneered this stuff. 
And uh, there's also an important function that hams serve in emergencies because without ham radio, when uh, communications go out, Katrina, for instance, uh, the tornadoes in Alabama, for instance, hams really jump in to help out. And, and it, so they are very important. And I'm pleased to see we've got a young ham in here, college-age guy, and a ham more my age. <laughs> and that's great. And, uh, and, I, and I'm excited about it because uh, we, we do a show called Ham Nation uh, with uh, uh, Bob Heil, who's uh, my good friend, our, our, my microphone guy, brilliant sound guy. Uh, and Gordon West, who is uh, not only uh, both Bob and Gordon are well-known hams, but Gordon is 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 the uh, guy who teaches people to be hams. He's an amazing instructor, and uh, he's been training me up for the test. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to take that test. I'm thinking I'm going straight to general. I'm going to whiz through technician, and go straight to general, and we're going to build a ham radio setup. So I'm excited about that. And uh, so there's what surprises me is that, no, far from being dead, the ham community is vibrant, is active, is alive, and there are a lot of them. They're, if you go into the chat room, there's, there's dozens of hams in there. So uh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Back to the phones. I'll tell you more about it. I'll try, I'll try not to drop ha the word ham in too many of my conversations. I know I'm going to be overexcited. Uh, Mimi is in Ventura. Hi, Mimi. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. I have a couple of questions for you. Um, my daughter is going to be leaving in October um, with the Peace Corps. Oh, for... isn't that exciting? Where's she going? Lesotho, Africa, which is a little sovereign nation that sits in the middle of South Africa. Oh, I'm, that's brave and exciting, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're really proud of her. Oh, I am. That's I am. So neat. Um, and, you know, a little worried. I want yes, to make sure... as I would be, too. Yeah, I want to make sure that we have a way to connect right. in that. Um, one of the things that she's uh, found out through chatting with some of the people that are already there on Facebook. Um, Isn't that is amazing? Now, just right there. There's people who are already there. They're getting online, and they're telling her what to expect. When my daughter went away to college for the first time last year, she met, it was so different from my experience. She'd met all the people, her roommates, everybody, all on Facebook. Yeah, I know. It's it's just amazing for these kids now. They're so, so so connected. And I know sometimes we bemoan the fact that they stare into screens all the time and they you know, they don't get enough fresh air, et cetera, but there are some real advantages to the way they're connected today that is very different from our generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that they're requesting from her is uh, that she downloads some movies on a hard drive and bring them. Oh, that's neat. Something they can watch something they can watch That's because great. of course you know those that have been there for over a year didn't get to see any of the more popular ones than that so my question is um I, in looking at hard drives um she's going to take her laptop with her so am i looking for a portable hard drive and then being as how she wants to download movies on it what size yeah. Work? So is so th when when they say bring a hard drive, they mean that you can play back on her computer. Correct. Okay. Good. That makes it much simpler because you can make sure that whatever you're getting works on her computer before she leaves. If they were going to play it on some other thing, that might be more complicated. You know, yeah. uh, it, it, depending on where you're getting the movies, it's roughly a gigabyte per movie. Okay. So if you got a terabyte drive, which is pretty common it's under a hundred bucks that we're talking about a thousand movies plenty of space okay okay 
You don't have to worry. A, a terabyte would be plenty. If you go to the big box stores, you go to your Costco or your Place Club or your, uh, you know, uh, what, what do they call Walmart's Club, Sam's Club. Yeah, uh -huh. they all have drives, Western Digital and other companies that are external, large external drives, one or two terabytes, fairly affordable, USB connection, that'd be fine. Okay, okay. Does perfect. she know where she's going to get these movies? I'm assuming she's going to download them from, like, Netflix or something like that. Okay, so, yeah, not Netflix, because those, those you can't download. Those are temporary. She, you can get them from iTunes or you can get them from Amazon.com. But I should point out, if you're going to get them this way, that um, she'll have to be able to get online to use them. Because oh, these, will. when you get them from Amazon or you get them from um, iTunes, they're copy protected. Okay. And um, usually that means that you'll play it back. You have to play it back through iTunes, for instance. And okay. iTunes has to get online to check that you have the license to play it. Right. That, that won't work for her because that's part of the problem is that oftentimes not only do they not have Internet access, they, they may not even have electricity. Okay, so, Yeah. So, so, yeah. Plan B. <laughs> she should not buy these from online retailers unless it explicitly says, you know, you own this and you don't have to check to the license and so forth. Okay, okay. Um, I you know there are rentals and then there are own to to own D, uh, movies and I, I think Amazon and iTunes when they sell them to own as opposed to rent they're more expensive this way. Uh, you I believe you can play them without internet access, but you know my opinion what she should do is buy the DVDs uh -huh. and rip them. Don't oh, get okay. don't get Blu-rays. Get just regular DVDs. Occasionally, you'll see uh, Blu-rays, especially, come with digital copies. That makes it really easy. You just drag that onto your hard drive. But, but most movies, you get them on a regular DVD, and then you'll use software to put the DVD on the hard drive. Oh, okay. Takes a little time, but it works pretty well. If you if you buy the movies, and uh, this is good. Thank you, chat room, for confirming this. If you buy the movies, not rent them from iTunes, you can play them without going online. Oh, okay. She can also carry the DVDs with her if her if her laptop has a DVD player. It does, it does. Um, but she also has a hundred pound weight limit, and yeah. she's going to the only country in Africa where it snows all the time. Oh my goodness! It snows. <laughs> it does. It must, must be it in the mountains. Wow. Mm -hmm. So she has to actually have two sets of of clothes in that and like I said a hundred pound weight limit so. yeah so it's a good idea get us get a, a small inexpensive portable hard drive they sell them at the big box stores they're very inexpensive load okay. them up with copies of movies either that you purchase or but or better buy the DVD and then rip them onto the okay. hard drive she'll know how to do that yeah okay the next question Well, I hold have... on Mimi we'll get to the next question when we return in oh. a minute Leo Laporte the tech guy Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. And uh, we've got uh, Mimi on the line for Ventura. Her daughter is uh, joining the Peace Corps. She's going to be going to Africa in the fall. Very exciting. She uh, is bringing some movies with her because they don't get any entertainment there. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Um, what else can I do to help you? Next question is, what about a solar charger for those electronic devices and that. Um, is that something that, 
that would be workable for her? I mean, would that well, given the given the hundred pound limit, uh, maybe not. Okay. Uh, in order for a solar charger to really do the job, uh-huh. uh, uh, it not only has to have fairly hefty solar panels, you know, several square feet of solar panels, but it needs a battery, and the battery uh-huh. can weigh quite a bit. So they do make oh. suitcase-sized solar chargers. Uh, those are big enough to run computers. Um, you know, you charge maybe all day, but that's, you know, I, I presume there's plenty of sunshine where she's going. Mm-hmm. Um, REI sells them. Um, there's actually a site, I'm going to see if I can find it, uh, that is uh, dedicated to this kind of uh, solar chargers for technology devices. Um Anybody in the chat room know? I had talked about this before, but REI, which is, you know, of course, the camping gear place, and I'm sure you're going to be spending right. some time at REI anyway, uh, sells, uh, sell these, sells these uh, you know, devices. What, what you should do is when you go look at the device, ask, you know, how heavy it is, how much juice it has, and, and then how big the batteries are, how many milliamp hours the battery can provide. Um, okay. It's it's you generally will have to have a battery in addition to the the solar charger because what you really want to do is use the solar charger. It can't, th- these unless you have a lot of solar panels, it doesn't give you enough juice to run the electronics. What really happens is the solar charger charges up a battery and then the battery runs the electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just looking at the chat room. There's quite a few. There's also hand cranking devices, which is not a bad idea. Um, VoltaicSystems.com. I think that was the one that I was thinking of. Thank you uh, to T-Zag. What was that again? Voltaic, V-O-L-T-A-I-C, Systems.com. Voltaic Systems. Uh, Solio, that's the one. The other one I was thinking of, S-O-L-I-O.com. They're a manufacturer. They make, you know, their own brand of stuff, S-O-L-I-O.com. And they have stuff that's specifically designed to, to kind of keep iPhones and uh, and computers running, laptops running. Generally, though, what happens is they've got a battery. You'll attach it to the battery. You'll charge it all day. You'll bring the battery into the house, and then you'll run the devices off the battery. Okay. But she, you know, the issue is going to be the, <laughs> frankly, is going to be the weight. Yeah. If you only have a hundred pounds, you know, you don't want to devet, devote twenty of them to a solar charger. But I think that's a good idea. So, how many people are there already? Um. Right now, it looks like there are about eight people. What they do, it it appears that depending upon what their purpose is in the country, they send them either in the fall or in the late spring. Neat. She, because she's in education, it'll be fall for her. That's so great. I'm just exciting. So those eight people who are there are kind of the... uh advanced team and then now they can tell her oh we need movies we need power we they could tell her what they should have brought yes that's exactly what's happening on facebook it's just awesome that she has that connection it really is the best way to figure out ahead of time what you need somebody who's there mm-hmm. we've brought the solio site down by the way and so don't go there right now the entire the entire tech guy audience has now crashed their website this does happen on, with, un, with unnerving uh, regularity when I mention a site, so I should probably just, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Wait, go there later. Well, well, all the best to your daughter. Is she going to be there a year? It's a 27-month commitment. Wow. Long time. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it's terrifying. I know I'd be scared to death, but 
but it's her life. She gets to do something really exciting that she'll never forget. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for the call, Mimi. I really appreciate it, and all the best to your daughter. It, she's making a difference in the world. John, Los Angeles, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, John. I gotta gotta go. Hey, Leo, how you doing? I'm great. What can I do for you today? Hey, well, I've got a website. Got a few websites actually, and I, w I would like to stream some video from a web webcam, <clears throat> like about eight hours a day, and. First problem was, you know, I had like Hughes uh, mm, uh, satellite basically. So uh, now I have a Verizon mobile hotspot, and it's got a 10 gig per month limit. So I'm wondering, you know, how much data I'm going to need for like eight hours a day of streaming. I'm, I got a Mac, and I was going to use EvoCam. Is it a? Oh yeah, that's a good software. Is it a um, security thing, or are you broadcasting? Well, no, I'm, I'm hoping to broadcast. You oh, know? neat. What so you I want to do is... You want to kind of do what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, w I want to drive use it to drive people to my site, so eventually, right. hopefully, I can make some revenue from my site because right. lots of people want to watch it. So that was the next part of my question is, is it going to choke my, my uh, hosting server? Or yeah, so the first thing you should understand is you are not going to serve it to the mass audience. You're going to send one stream to Ustream.tv or Justin.tv or one of the providers who will then be serving everybody else. You don't have enough bandwidth to, to serve even, Gosh. you know, not even more than one person. The amount of bandwidth that streaming video requires is astronomical. Right. You know, we do if terabytes I... a minute. Right. Oh, really? Uh, well, yeah, but I have thousands of people watching. So, uh, but we only send out one stream to Justin, one stream to Ustream. So that can be small, and you could almost do that on a MiFi or a three G connection. Almost, you might, you know, depending. This is the same conversation I had a little while ago. Every when you use the cellular network for data, you are sharing that cell site with however many other people are on that cell site in that area using the cellular network. Now, what they do is they have to do a backhaul of data to each and every cell site. So they, in effect, have to be an Internet service provider to every cell tower and give them a certain amount of bandwidth. And whatever bandwidth that cell tower has, that's what you and everybody else using that cell tower will be using. So, I mean, typically, if you think about it, they, I mean, they're not going to send more than a megabit, let's say, to each cell tower. That's fine if it's just you on there, but if there's 20 people using it, 100 people, 1,000 people using it, it's going to be slicing it up by that many people. Right. So it's not consistent. It really goes up and down. And if you do a speed, you know, take out your cell phone and do a speed test on your data network now and then do it in an hour, then do it in another hour, you'll see it goes up and down and up and down. Right. I see. Well, now if I Not ideal for broadcasting, in other words. You want something more right. consistent than that. If I upload to Ustream, will that still accomplish my goal of driving people to my site for... Sure. The sure, because you plug your site, you embed the Ustream video on your site. People will also go to Ustream.tv to see it, but that's good because they'll see it. And I presume that the content you're putting on there relates to your site, right? Right, yeah. I mean, this, the site uh, is a, it's a... I have a for-profit and a non-profit, basically. So I'm, right. I'm hoping... And, and, and by the way, 10 gigabytes a month, not going to be enough. You'll go through a gigabyte a day, even with a low-quality video stream. So you really, you're going to, if you want to broadcast, you need a good, rock-solid, fast internet connection. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
we're talking about bandwidth and the bandwidth required for broadcasting. I don't just have DSL Extreme in here. I do. I have a business class DSL Extreme connection. But we also have some kind of weird exotic connections for the high-speed stuff, including something called Ethernet for the first mile. Uh, which is, which, uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know. That's what the EFM, they call it. We get that from a local company here called SonicNet. And that's what, in the new studio, because we're closer to the phone company, we're only a block from the phone company, we get the same thing, EFM, and it's 35 megabits, not just down, it's up. And it, that's all up is what we care about because we're streaming to the Internet. Still not enough to stream to more than a few hundred people. So even with that much bandwidth, and we're going to get two of those, and we're going to get another connection from Comcast. We have a connection from DSL Extreme in there. We have a lot of connections. Uh, even with all of those high-speed connections, we only send out one stream to each provider and let the providers who have big pipes, gigabit or 10 gigabit, 10 billion bits per second upstream, those are the guys who serve everybody else. It's, it's really kind of, um, if you're used to broadcasting, it's very different. You know, as a radio broadcast, I've been in radio for over 30 years. You build a tower, you apply power to the tower, you get a guy talking to a microphone, and then if one person, a, a million people or a billion people listen to that signal, it's all the same. If you have a billion people listening to the radio show uh, over the tower, I don't know how you do that because it's geographic, but, you know, if, you, if everybody, everybody in Los Angeles listened to KFI, it wouldn't use one watt more power than if nobody listened. It's the same. It's broadcasting. The Internet's exactly the opposite. Every single person who listens to or watches an Internet broadcast is, in effect, downloading continuously from the server. So every person is taking bandwidth. And, the, and when a, if 1,000 people tune in, that's a lot of bandwidth. If 10,000 tune in, it's even more bandwidth. And in fact, when you're talking about internet streams, it's rare to see more than a hundred thousand or so on watching any internet stream. Unlike television, where you get 18 million or 50 million people watching a TV show is no big deal. So it's really flipped around. It's very different. It's more like, um, let's say, magazine publishing. Everybody who reads a magazine, you got to print a copy for them, don't you? And that means, uh, you know, there's a cost to every single reader. Well, there's a cost to every single viewer on internet television. Not so in broadcast television. So that the economics are actually quite uh, quite different. Um, another John in South Bend, Indiana. Hi, John Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. Um, I'm, I do a podcast. I've done a few episodes so far. Congratulations. What's what the name of it? Uh, it's called Google at a Glance. Uh, we do Google News. We do it once a week. I like it. Google at a Glance. Yep. You can check it out at Netcast. Studio.com and also in iTunes. Fantastic. Um, and, um, okay, what can I do to help you? Uh, so my question is, what is the uh, best headset or mic um, that's cheap, probably under $100, that um, I could use? So you're using Skype with your, uh, with your partner, Nicholas, on this? Uh, yes. Yep. Nicholas actually is my brother. I do, my, I do it with my brother. I love that. What a great idea. And I'm sure you're talking about Google Plus this week, huh? Yep. We have a show. We actually had um, Greg Sterling on from Search Engine Land. 
And the whole show was Google Plus. Fantastic. i got to start listening to this. It sounds great. So um, if you're on Skype, we, uh, we do a lot of Skyping with our, uh, our hosts because people are all over the country. Um, the best thing to do, as you know, is get a headset, a USB headset, by the way, not an analog headset. Get a USB headset that has headphones and a microphone in it. That's going to give you the best results. The one that I'm currently recommending and we send out to our hosts is a Plantronics and uh, I think it's called the USB 655. Let me let me look that up. They may have discontinued that, and they may have gone to a later model. For some reason, Plantronics keeps updating their stuff. Yeah, it's the Dot Audio 655 headset. It's thirty bucks on Amazon. Okay. I mean, it's cheap, but it gives you very good results. Frankly, for anybody who wants to do a podcast, that's about all you need. Now, if it's just you on your computer, this will work fine. But if you have more than one person in the room with you, then it gets more complicated. You've probably figured this out. Then you need a mixer because the computer can only handle one USB mic at a time. Okay. Actually, what we do is um, it's all through Skype, and we call into the producer who's actually out in California, and he records it all through Skype and then posts Perfect. it up. Makes it so much easier. Skype is, in effect, your mixer in that case. Yep. All we have to do is sit here and talk. <laughs> that's, that's the, boy, you, how'd you figure that out? Took me years to figure that out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. Sounds great. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the one I recommend. I use it, and we've got very good results with it. Uh, Logitech makes some. Uh, others make them. But I think that that Plantronics is, is probably the, the best one I, uh, I found and works with most uh, well, all systems very well. That's the one we sent out to our hosts. Good luck with the podcast, John. That's great. Uh, Don in Columbia City, Oregon. You're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. What can I do for you, Don? I'm trying to make a USB boot drive for Spinrite. Okay. So Spinrite, which is my friend Steve Gibson's program for maintaining and repairing hard drives does have to boot from a from a CD or a USB key if your computer's capable of it because you don't want the operating system running when Spinrite's running. He puts an operating system on the boot drive. It's a kind of a, an open source DOS that he puts on there. And that's all you really need for Spinrite to work. So the the trick is how do we make it first of all your computer can it boot a USB drive? Yes. That's that's newer computers can but older computers could not. So it's important. Um, does he not give you instructions on how to do that on, uh, on the Spinrite uh, site? Yes, he did, but I run the, US, uh, the HP USB storage formatter, and it gives me an error, permission denied. The administrator rights are required to run this tool. Hmm. That's when you're trying to create the drive from Windows? That's when I'm trying to format my USB. Hmm. Uh, you don't have the right protects turned on on the USB, do you? No, I don't believe I do. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I'm looking here on Steve's uh, site, grc.com, the FAQ. How do I make a bootable USB thumb drive? And he's the one who says, use this HP USB disk format tool, because inside it says, create a DOS startup disk. Um, and, uh, in fact, all the boot files that you need are on there as well. Let's see. Uh, automatically builds a drive using the DOS files. He doesn't mention that error message, though, does he? 
You are an administrator, are you not, in Windows, when you use Windows? Correct. You're not an limited user. Uh, Vista Home Basic. Does, uh, well, this should work. If you, I'm not sure why it's demanding this, and it might be a com uh, incompatibility with Vista or, a, or a, just a, a bump in the road. Right-click on the icon for the HP USB disk format tool, and on the pop-up menu that comes up, choose Run as Administrator. Okay. And then when you run it as an administrator, you're telling it, it will ask you for your Windows login. You give it that. It, it, you're basically telling it. No, it just worked. Well, there you go. There I go. Thank you, Don. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to charge Steve for the tech support call. <laughs> That's a great program, by the way, yeah, Spinrite. The only issue is it's $90 which is about what a new hard drive would cost. So you really only, either if you work with a lot of hard drives, it's great if you're in a you know, tech support business, or you got to get some data off a drive and you, you can't afford to lose it. Uh, you can get that from grc.com. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 88, 88 Ask Leo. Last segment of the uh, day of the weekend, but we'll be back next weekend to talk about tech. Of course, uh, during the week I continue to broadcast. I don't stop. You know, actually, that's another reason to become a ham. That's why Art Bell became a ham, because he'd get, you know, the end of Coast to Coast, and he'd say, I'm not done. He'd fire up the transmitter from the double-wide perump, and he'd keep broadcasting. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that, though, right? You're only supposed to have personal conversations. Am I right? I'm asking my ham experts. Personal conversations. Uh, <laughs> well, that's all I do anyway. Um, anyway, we will keep broadcasting. We don't, we use the Internet. At this point, we haven't, we ha we're not sophisticated enough to use the ham frequencies, but uh, you can catch all of our shows at twit.tv, and you can watch live at live.twit.tv all week long. We, we just obsessively talk about technology. Uh, and then, of course, I'll be back uh, next week. Our website for this show is techguylabs.com. You'll find show notes there for every show. Thank you, James DeRuvo, for writing that all down. Links to our live video, the chat room, uh, audio even from all of the shows. All 786 of them. Oh, my goodness. Ed from Rialto, California. You're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. I'm just now getting into uh, handheld camcorders, but all of them seem to have the same uh, problem for me is that they're, the view screen opens from the right to the left, made to be looked at with the right eye. I only have vision in the left eye. Is there... Any company that makes one that opens from the... That's a really good question. I don't think so. Because most people want to hold it in their right hand, right? Yeah. So for what you want, you'd have to hold it in your left hand. I can roll the camera upside down and the image is level for me, but when I make a movie, it's upside down. Yeah, well, you could do it that way and then just flip the movie around. Uh, my DVR doesn't have the ability to flip it back to normal. Yeah, you'd have but to I, do that in the uh, in the software in the uh, in the, the process software. of editing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know if somebody's listening might pass the word on to the industry. And uh, another thought occurred to me. I think uh, it's a small market. That's the problem. Well, there are a lot of left-handed people out there. That I'm a lefty, and I do. I hold the camera with the right hand, and I look with my left eye because that's exactly you know how it's set up. Um, you know, one thing you might look at is a lot of digital SLRs now shoot video. Ah. And they have the pickup in the middle, so you could use either eye. Well, the simplest thing I thought could at least solve this is while I was waiting for you was a ring that rotates the screen 180 degrees on the axis of the camera or 
just a slide uh, extension bracket that the screen could slide across. Well, look at this. The chat room has also come up with a solution. Raymond Thoth in our chat room. Samsung announces stylish left and right-handed camcorder. It's a very <laughs> cool-looking camcorder. It's a, it's a cylinder, and it's exactly what you want. You can have the... Basically, I think it's exactly what you just suggested, which is you flip it over, and uh, the camera writes the picture. It's actually got good Schneider lens. Uh, it's 1080p. Sounds like a good product. The HMQ, I'm sorry, the HMX Q10. And that's a Samsung? It's from Samsung. They make excellent cameras. And uh, it, it's been on sale for a few months, about 300 bucks list. So that means it's, it's comparable with all the other cameras out there. And uh, according to this, it's left and right-handed. Okay. Well, so I guess you would just probably just flip it over just as you thought. It says it features an orientation detecting design. So the picture is always the right way up. It's just like a smartphone. You know, as you flip it around, it knows it's upside down and it flips the picture around. Okay. And along the same lines, a friend of mine is a southpaw. He's always uh, bemoaning the fact there are no deluxe mice that are right, uh, left-handed. I know. I know. And, uh, you know, I'm a lefty. <laughs> hmm? You know, the, the, I just, I get used to, you click the left button is the click button. And the, and the right, you know, I just, you, I'm just used to that. I have the mouse on the left. You're right. The, the button should be, the inside button should be the primary button, but it isn't. Um, you know, I, I just live with that. There are reprogrammable mice, and certainly the control panel will let you do that. What I do look for, and I, you know, I think every lefty does this, there are a lot of great mice that are not kind of agnostic, that they, they are shaped to be used in the right hand. I, this is an example of a mouse that is shaped to be used either way. It's completely symmetric. Um, ah. It's the logit. I love this mouse, by the way, uh, because it's, uh, it's got a laser that can work on any surface. Uh, so it doesn't, you don't have, you, it'll even work on glass if you want. It's a wireless mouse, and it has a lot of extra buttons, uh, and it's symmetrical. So if it's symmetrical, then you can have the button be on either side. That, that doesn't matter. It's really the shape of it that really makes lefties upset because um, they can't hold it in their left hand. What is the name you know of this mouse? Now, I'm going to have to open it up and figure it out because I cannot remember off the top of my head what the name of this mouse is. Chatroom, you know. You're looking at it right now, aren't you? You tell me, Chatroom. What is the name of this mouse? <laughs> it's my favorite. Is it the, uh, thank you, comp mic. It's the Logitech VX Nano. It's a smaller mouse. I just love it. I just, it's my favorite mouse. I use it everywhere. Even I, on Macs. I, uh, it's a PC mouse, but it works great on Macs. I never use Apple's mouse. That thing just drives me nuts. Although, to okay, their credit, well, Apple's mouse is agnostic. It works left or right. It doesn't matter. That's because it doesn't even have any buttons. It's just a, sh a piece of, a sh looks like a bar of soap. <laughs> what do you think I was going to say? Hey, thanks for the call, Ed. I appreciate it. David in Austin, Texas, you're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Mr. Laporte, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling, David. I'm calling because my problem is, uh, with the cell phone era, I don't have a home phone, but every once in a while, someone can only receive a fax. So is there a safe way to go from the Internet to Don't you fax? hate that? <laughs> Who is this fax user? My goodness. Yeah, well, I recommend to you. Welcome to the 21st century. I actually use a company called eFax, which is a web faxing. Now, you have to pay for it. Uh, they're at efax.com. 
And essentially what happens is you use your computer to send a PDF or whatever. It'll, it'll send it along to a, a phone, a fax number, but it's not free. Uh, I'm sure there are some free choices uh, out there. But um, in effect, this gives me a fax number. I have an eFax, fo eFax phone number that's a regular phone number. When somebody sends me a fax, it turns it into an email, a PDF, and then emails it to me. So I can open it on my smartphone. When I want to send a fax, I just, uh, I, you know, I've never used it from a uh, cell phone, but I imagine you could. Uh, usually I use it from a computer. I just take the document, the digital document, and I uh, upload it to eFax, and they send it along. They've got a fax machine, I guess. You wonder how much longer they're going to have a business. But that's the one I use, and I like them a lot. It's not free. It's, in fact, it's, I think it's kind of expensive. Um, just thinking, is there anything in the... Uh, let me look in the chat room, see if anybody in the chat room... Fax Zero, says Raythoth. Let me look at fax. That's free. Fax Zero is a virtual fax service. Ah, it's 30-day free trial. Yeah, they're going to get you eventually. $1.99 per fax. So if you only do it once in a while, that's probably worth it. Uh, this would not be economical if you send more than a few faxes a month, then I'd use eFax. But if you only send a fax every once in a while, faxzero.com. Thanks, Ray. Uh, Rich in Tampa, Florida. Hi, Rich. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. How you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for calling. Thank you for call, uh, picking up. Um, I have a uh, Windows Media Center PC that I bought a new Centon Infinity TV4 tuner for. And I've been using the old Linksys media extenders. And I'm wondering if there's any TVs out there that act as a Windows Media Center extender. This is um, such a disappointment because essentially this, these Windows Media Centers uh, extenders are gone. Nobody's making them anymore. Nobody's building them into the TVs. It's, it's frankly, it's as if, you know, I don't, I don't know. Even Microsoft isn't really making Windows Media Center anymore. The whole category just collapsed, and I'm not sure why. Maybe because of the fact that many TVs have Internet access now or Blu-ray players have Internet access now. I can't figure it out, but it, is, it has essentially died. Well, I think it might be something to do with the cable companies because I only pay $3.99 for a cable card. Right. I've got this tuner that has four HD channels, access my DVR, right. um, and the only extenders I could find is obviously the Xbox. Um, right, and that still works, and it works fine. Um, they're not going to take that, that capability out. is isn't uh, the best option for it. Yeah. Um, and I have found some Linksys uh, media extenders on eBay, but... Yeah, they've stopped uh, making them, though, so... Yeah, they did stop making yeah. those, and, and they're working for their purpose, but I'm just thinking once those die on me, what what, what options? Xbox. And, but I have to think that, you know, obviously Windows 7 has Media Center in it, but, that, but Microsoft's no longer touting this. The companies that made Media Center PCs are, are no longer doing it. Uh, the extenders are gone. I mean, I think the whole thing is just kind of fading away, and, you know, it's probably been replaced by things like Roku boxes and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call, Rich. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings. Technology moves along. So does this show. I'm out of time. I'll see you at twit.tv, the website techguylabs.com, and we'll meet here again next week. All right? Leo Laporte, Big Tech.